When I was in high school, which, thinking about it, actually wasn't that long ago, uh, I wasn't always the most receptive to my parents' uh, suggestions, to put it the best way possible. Um, and I, could, I have a whole list of things I could say, but one of them was they would always tell me to wear a jacket, especially when it got colder, and, you know, I'm just... I'm too cool for that. No way. I don't want to hide my muscles or anything like that. So I'd always say, thanks, but no thanks. And there was one time, I just turned 16. I was going to fly down on my own to Missouri to visit a school. And it was decently warm here in October. And they told me again, hey, just make sure you bring your jacket. It might be cold. I'm 16. I'm going to go on a play ride on my own. I'm going to be thinking about the future. No way. Am I going to listen to any jacket pusher? I'm fine. I want to make a good impression on these people. So I I left my jacket basically just to spite them, which wasn't right. Um, So I left my jacket at home, flew flew down, totally fine. And then the next day, we had to do a tour of the building. And for some reason, they all decided to pray outside in windy 40-degree weather. So everyone else is all bundled up, really warm coats, and I'm there in short sleeve shirt and jeans, rubbing my arms, shivering, and every single person decided to ask me, why didn't you just bring a jacket? Well, my parents told me to, and they didn't want to. (laughs) So hearing and actually doing are two totally different things. Just hearing something doesn't do you any good if you don't actually do it. And the book of James has a lot to say about hearing and doing. The book of James was written by a man named... James, who would have thunk it, who is believed to be Jesus' half-brother. In verse 1 of chapter 1, we see that this epistle, this letter, is addressed to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. So this book, this letter, is written to Jewish Christians who were scattered. And this letter is thought to be written around 45 AD, around that time for a number of reasons. Uh, One being that in the book it mentions the synagogue as a place of meeting instead of the church. And it's thought to be written before the council met in Acts 15, where the decision to spread the gospel message with Gentiles was affirmed. So it's thought to be written in the very, very early stages of Christianity. And it's also thought to be one of the very first New Testament books written, which I didn't know that. Uh, So James is written to these Jewish Christians with one of the main points being faith acted out in obedience in all areas of our life. So we should be doing good works. Our salvation in Christ should impact every area of our life. Our relationships with believers and unbelievers, our faith endures trials, causes us to ask for wisdom and trust that God will provide it. It controls our tongue and temper. It puts away sin. It demonstrates our salvation It doesn't play favorites with certain groups of people, and on and on and on. And that's all covered in this book. So how about we stand for the reading of God's Word? And we will start in verse 18 and go to 25. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. 
For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. You can take a seat. Dear God, I, uh, I just thank you for this, this beautiful Sunday evening. I thank you for each and every single person here. God, I pray you'll help me. I'm, I'm humbled and very thankful that I, I can preach from your word. God, I pray that you will help my words uh, just to be spoken by you. Please use me. Please help me because I cannot do this on my own. In your name, amen. So I wanted to pick up in verse 18 as it gives us the reason why we are saved and why our faith needs to be demonstrated. So in verse 18 it says, of his own will, another translation says by his choice, that he brought us forth by the word of truth. So by God's choice, by his mercy, by his grace and love, we have been born again. We've um, we've been brought forth, meaning we've been saved, we've been born again. The message of truth, the gospel, saved you when you heard it and when you believed it. We are saved by God's grace, but why? And the verse said that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So first fruits are the best of the harvest. I'm not really a big vegetable guy fruit, I could go either way, but it's the best of the, the, the harvest that you get. So God has created us to produce wonderful fruit, good works in our lives to glorify him. However, we can only do good works for Christ when we have believed in him. Ephesians 2.10 says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God saved us for good works, to glorify him, to live our lives for him, for his glory, to praise and make disciples around us. So we are saved. We are saved to, yes, have a relationship with God, but to show the fruits of justification, our salvation. We are saved for good works, to create, to obey our creator and our savior. But are we doing that just in general? Are we producing this fruit that we were made to produce? Are we living this life that God has called us to? Because the life here on earth isn't about you. If you're saved, it's about God. But how often do we live our lives focused on, on us? So do we obey God? And what about specifically in our response to others around you? In verses 19 through 20, it says, now know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So are we quick to hear someone without jumping to conclusions and judgments? Uh, do we actually listen to people when they talk? Are we slow to anger when someone wrongs us? How is our response to other people? Are we producing good works in our relationships with others? And as we see in verse 26, it says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's re religion is worthless. So our tongue and our self-control of it shows us where our heart lies. 
whether we are close or far away from God. So does your tongue and actions betray what you say to believe? At work, do you tell people that you're a Christian, but ten minutes later you're bad-mouthing your boss when they tell you to do something you don't want to do? Do your words and, and actions betray what you say to believe? And we go on to verse 21, where we, we see and read of this idea of putting away. So it says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So we are told throughout Scripture that as a believer, you are to put on Christ or to put on the new life. We see that a lot. Romans 13, 14 says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Colossians 3.10 Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. We could go on and on about this idea of how you believe in Jesus, you're a new person, you are to put on Christ. When you believe in Christ, you are instantly seen as just and righteous in God's eyes. And that's called justification. You're saved from your sins. When God looks at you, he sees his son and what he did for you. So there's justification, but then there's this process of putting on Christ and putting away sin, which we see here, putting away this rampant wickedness and filthiness. You are to put on Christ as if clothes. So the root word of put on in Greek means to sink into a garment. I had to spend a lot of time figuring out Greek words and how that all works. Um, but it's the idea of sinking into a garment. So you put on Christ, you are being renewed day by day to become like your creator. The more you become like Christ, the more you are filled with the Spirit, the more of your filthiness and wickedness will be put away. The more you love, listen, and obey, the more you become like Christ. And that's the process of sanctification. But your desire for lust, greed, anger tendency to gossip, selfishness, whatever it may be, it doesn't just go away in a day. It's a daily process, like taking out the trash or cleaning up your room. On this earth, you'll never be perfect or apart from temptations and sin. But with Christ as your garment, you can put away those sinful desires and prevent them from fouling up your life. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1-2 to two tells us, So put away all malice and all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. So we are told to put away those things from before we were born again, and instead to long for and receive God's implanted word, our spiritual food. So we should desire to spend time with God. Our hearts should feel as if we are missing something if we don't spend time with God. We feel that with other things. We miss our favorite TV show. We miss our cup of coffee in the morning. Whatever it may be. We miss those things. It's, it's just not a day without them. But what about God's word? Can we go a day without spending God's word, without even thinking about it? Two days, three days, a week, more than that? Are we longing for God's word? We have a God we can mirror and a God who desires to feed us. So we need to desire the implanted word. Uh, John Piper said this about the implanted word and the unbeliever's response to it. He said, Before we are born again, our hearts are full of other things that push out the word of God. We are like people who are so stuffed with candy between meals 
that when the feast is offered, we are not hungry. In fact, our stomach turns at the thought of eating. This is how unbelievers feel about the real meaning of God's word. They feel no need for it, so it has no place. It's not implanted in them. So this, this quote was talking about unbelievers' response to, to God's word, but even as unbelievers, do we ever act like we're stuffed? We, we distract ourselves so much throughout the day that by the end of the day, well, I'm really tired, maybe tomorrow. Or we wake up really early in the morning, and you just want to go back to bed, and I'm really tired, I, I need another extra 10 minutes, I'll wake up, I'll do it at night. Do we act like we're stuffed? Do we actually desire for the implanted word? Or is our response similar to an unbeliever's? Do we turn away? Do we have no interest? Now, the pulpit commentary relates this word implanted to the parable of the sower. So the parable, if you aren't familiar with it, is where a sower went and he scattered seeds on different types of soil. Well, the seed fell into good soil and grew. Luke chapter 8 Verse 11 says, the seed is the word of God. So as a believer, the word of God is rooted and implanted in you. The seed, the gospel, has been planted. You are saved by hearing and believing. But like any plant, you still need to water. You still need to grow. Therefore, you are called to humbly and earnestly seek God's instruction as it is able to save your soul. The implanted word, the gospel, which this verse talks about, saves your soul at the time of your new birth, which we talked about justification, when you make that decision to believe. However, the word of God is still able to save your soul continually, which is sanctification. You only have to believe in Jesus one time, but God's word continues to sanctify you and draw you closer to him and and helps you to put away your sinful desires and habits. Through God's word, you become more like God. Christ. But how can you be sanctified? How can you grow if your eyes aren't open to those things in your life that need to be picked up and put away? You must read God's word and allow the Holy Spirit to illuminate the rampant wickedness in your life. The verse specifically mentions receiving God's word meekly. Right? And we see that in verse 21. We must do it meekly or humbly. You must be willing to admit and see that you are imperfect. If you go into reading God's word or hearing the the pastor preach, thinking that you're okay, you live a decent life. There's no, I haven't murdered anyone, I haven't stole or, or anything like that. If you go in with that attitude, you're not going to take anything from it. You must go humbly, realizing that you are in need of the perfect Holy Spirit's work in your life. You must read or hear, expecting and asking God to reveal your shortcomings. God's word is living and active. It will convict, it will pierce, and it will expose. So we see here that we shouldn't just be satisfied with with being saved and leave it at that. You must also be reading and receiving the word of God daily. But the next verse makes it clear that you shouldn't just be satisfied with reading it. You shouldn't just be satisfied with hearing it. You must do it. In verse 22, it says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. So it wasn't enough for you to just hear the gospel. I go to children. I share the gospel. I teach them the Bible lessons. Many children have heard it, but not all of them have believed it 
You must make that decision to believe. And if you are just hearing God's word and not actually doing it, not actually obeying it, you're deceiving yourself. It's even so easy to slip into this false sense of security and self-righteousness when you consistently read and hear the word of God. Well, I, I read God's word for 10 minutes today. I went to church on Wednesday and on Sunday, so I'm good. I'm good. There's no problems. I'm better than that person over there who only comes every other week. If you aren't hearing and if you aren't doing it, you are woefully deceiving yourself. The commentary, critical and explanatory on the whole Bible, points out that it doesn't just merely say to do the word, it says to be doers. Which brings up the idea that doing uh, the, the word of God needs to be regular, it needs to be consistent in our life. We need to persevere in obeying God. We need to be doers. Don't deceive yourself. So it needs to be who we are. You don't not just a hearer, but we need to be a doer. And the next verses, 23 to 25, tells us what it looks like to hear and not obey, but to hear and obey. It says in verse 23, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now, I'm a huge fan of the ESV, but I prefer a few other translations of these few verses. So this is the Holman Christian Standard Bible up on the screen, which is one of my favorites. Uh, So it says... Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but one who does good works, this person will be blessed in what he does. The New Living Translation, which I don't normally use, but it says, For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. So Francis Chan said, Christians in America have become experts at conviction and failures at action. And this this few verses talks about that. The first man simply glances at his reflection and immediately forgets what he looks like. Whenever I I read that, I think of how I'm in one room, I think, okay, I need to go get that piece of paper. But by the time I walk into the next room, oh man, what did I need to get? And then I go back into the room, I think about it, and eventually I get it. Which is a serious problem, because I'm only 19. (laughs) Not a good sign. It's infuriating, but the same thing happens when you simply look at God's word or hear the pastor preach from it, but walk away immediately forgetting about it. Or you hear it and you just don't even think about what he talked about. Again, with that that hardened heart and that pride, I don't, what he was talking about, that applies to Susie over there. I'm fine. 
You don't think about it. You don't let the word impose on your own preconceived notions on where you think you are with God. Whether it be pride blocking your heart from being convicted or you're stuck in some habitual sin that, that is just drawing your intimacy and your focus on someone or something other than God. And what happens with this forgetfulness is it can so quickly become a cycle. You hear, you forget. Maybe you realize you forget, so you go back to God's word, but you still forget. It can easily become this cycle where you forget and slip up. You glance at your reflection, but forget what you look like. And the cycle continues until you don't know what to do. And I've been in a cycle of forgetfulness more times than I admit. Last time I preached back in April, I preached on praising God in, in any circumstance, in any trial. So I preached on that April 7th, something like that. Not even a month later. There was this day, all these problems piled up. I didn't deal with it the way I should have. I didn't praise God like I preached on. I knew God's word. I knew what I should do, but I was so focused on myself. I was so frustrated that I punched a chair out of my frustration and fractured my wrist. And I had to deal with that consequence for a really long time. I had to wrap it up. I had explained to so many people my mistake. I knew God's word. I preached on it. I studied it. I, I knew what God wanted me to do. But in the moment, I was so focused on myself and my own problems. It wasn't enough to just know God's word. It wasn't enough just to hear it. I had to do it. And in that moment, I failed. It is so important, so essential that we hear God's word and that we do it. So what are the things that God is telling you to do? Is it to praise in trials? Is it to resist bad mouth in that coworker that annoys you? Is it controlling your anger? Telling those friends about Jesus? Maybe there's certain types of media that maybe aren't outright bad, but you know they're not necessarily good for your soul. I know there's some podcasts that I like. Not the best for my soul. I know I need to just walk away and not listen to them. There's so many areas in our life that we can do so much better in obeying God, and we, we feel that tug. Like, yeah, all right, God, I know, but, you know, I'm born on my car right home, and I want to listen to this type of music, or I want to listen to this podcast, or I want to watch this movie. It's not enough to just be tugged or be convicted. You have to hear it, and you have to do it. In verse 25, the Greek root for looking intently means to stoop down, look carefully into, inspect curiously. So it's not a simple quick glance. This, this person that looked intently into God's word, he was blessed. It's an earnest and honest study of God's word. When I worked for Service Master last year, one of the jobs I always hated was after a big job, we would have to go throughout the house and look in every single edge and crevice and corner and spray it away, make sure it was all cleaned. If we didn't do it right, we would get called out and we'd have to go back and do it again. That drove me crazy. I don't like little details, so that was not a good day. But you had to inspect every single part of this house to make sure there was no dirt, there was nothing left, so it was perfect and clean. And if you aren't looking into God's word, if you aren't doing it, how are you supposed to grow and put away those dark and destructive sins? The person who looks intently into God's word, the perfect law of freedom will be blessed. God's word shows us how fallible we are, but how infallible our Lord is. 
God's word is a mirror showing us where our imperfections, our dirt, and our blemishes are. And the comforting thing is, you are completely incapable of doing this on your own. Nothing you can do. Believe me, there's been times where I've tried. Never, never turns out right. God himself, the creator, is the one that gives you the strength, the desire, the willingness to put away those sinful desires, those fleshly desires, and to put on Christ, to grow in him. And the other comforting thing is, is we're not perfect. We're going to fail. We're going to struggle. We're going to hear and not act on it. But God loves you and will show you more mercy and grace than you could ever imagine. God gives you the ability and he gives you the freedom. And I was fascinated by the idea that there's freedom in obedience. Because normally when I think of obedience, I think of a curfew. You have to be in by 10 o'clock. All right, you know, you're hanging out with friends. All right, guys, I got to go. I got to go home. I don't get in trouble. Or your boss tells you to do something. You have to obey it. It's not really freedom. But with Christ, there's freedom in obedience. Sure, there's a cost for obeying Christ. There's always a cost, and sometimes it's really difficult. But the things that you give up for Christ, when you obey, you won't even think about it. Someday in eternity, those costs will be nothing compared to the joy that you will have in heaven. John 8 36 says, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. If you believe in Jesus, you are free from the punishment of sin. You are free from the power of sin, but God continues to give you freedom here on earth. There's freedom in doing what God commands. When you obey, there's freedom from guilt and shame. When you obey, there's freedom from that cycle of forgetfulness. There's freedom from the lack of intimacy between you and God. There's freedom in that if you obey, your relationships with others will improve while you are quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. There is freedom in obedience. And it can be really hard to obey. But man, it is so worth it. And this reading and this doing is not to just be done a few times and, all right, read God's word every morning this week. I'm good. God should bless me. I'm fine. This is something that, that you need to persevere and do every single day. Persevere and continue to look intently into the perfect law of freedom. Through God's graciousness, you will be blessed in ways you can never imagine. Your faith should be producing fruit. That, that's why you are saved. You were saved for good works, to glorify God in your life. So is your faith being demonstrated in your life? Is your faith being demonstrated in your response to others or your response to God's word? God loves you and he died for you. We should be willing to do anything just to show our gratitude for what he's done. If you have believed in Jesus and you are hearing and doing God's word, praise him, continue to fight the good fight. And at the same time, be a mentor to someone that is not in the same place that you are. There's many people who would love to have a, a stronger, more mature Christian to come alongside them, walk with them, and to help them. But maybe you've believed in Jesus and you're stuck in this cycle of forgetting and looking, hearing yet sinning. If you are, don't give up hope. But you cannot continue in the struggle you were not created to be in. God can change you to be a doer. So first, pray. 
Pray often, pray honestly, pray earnestly. Pray asking God to change you, to give you the desire to obey him, the willingness, the strength. Ask him to change your heart. Pray. Read God's word. Read it every single day. Set aside that time just between you and God, away from the phone, away from the iPad, away from friends and family, just you and God every day, reading his word, journaling, praying about it. So pray, read, be vulnerable. Find someone in your life that can mentor you, walk alongside you, can help you. Someone that can keep you accountable, call you out gently in Christ when you aren't doing what you're supposed to be doing. Have someone mentor you and keep you accountable. Memorize God's word. This is something that's been a challenge, but it's, it's been helpful. And there's certain areas in your life where, where you struggle with sin or maybe it's desiring God. Memorize scripture, memory, uh, memorize these verses that have to do with your struggles. So when you're feeling the temptation, you're feeling this lack of desire to spend time with God, you have those verses right on the tip of your tongue. Say them out loud. Jesus, when he was being tempted, he had just the right scriptures. Say out loud to fight that temptation. Why would we do any differently? Memorize, recite throughout the day to fight that temptation. And lastly, pray. Pray again earnestly, continually, not giving up, because God will answer your prayer. It might take a while, but God will absolutely answer your prayer. The process of hearing and forgetting will not necessarily break in one day, so persevere. Continue even on the days when it seems that maybe God isn't saying something to you. You're reading God's word or you're praying. You're saying, God, I mean, I'm in the book of Leviticus, and what on earth am I supposed to get from this? (laughs) Continue. Pray. Seek God. He will answer your prayers. He will work. Continue to fight because the sweetness of freedom is so beyond worth it. But maybe you're here tonight, and you've never believed in Jesus before. John 3.15 says that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. To believe means to trust in who Jesus is and what he did for you. You believe and you make a decision to follow him. And if you do that, you are saved. You have a relationship with God right here on earth. And someday you will be with him in heaven forever. If you have any questions at all about what that means, come see me, come see Pastor Joe, come see Pastor Brock, come talk to us, because we would love nothing more to share with you from God's word what it means to believe. And if there's only one thing that you'll remember from tonight, remember the Nike slogan that sums up basically the entire passage. Just do it. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for your mercy and your grace because I realize that I am not always a doer. So often I, I forget. I'm just a hearer. God, I pray you will change my heart, change my desires, my willingness to obey you, God, so that I, I can just produce this wonderful fruit. I pray for each person here. If they have believed in you, help them to spend time in your word every day. Help them to to obey you. But God, if there's anyone here that has not believed, I pray you will work in their heart to realize that you are their Savior. In your name, amen.